So Christmas is coming up, like we said at the early beginning of the service, and it's approaching fast. And I want to ask you, though, even though we're still we're getting ready for it, I want to ask, how, how do you typically feel when the holidays are done? Like, at that point, what's left? Like, do you end up having, you know, a house full of leftovers that you're eating for quite a while, and then you're figuring out how to make, like, various soups and things with the various, you know, my mom was always good at that. I'm going to make a ham soup, going to make this turkey soup, going to make a whatever, any kind of soup you can come up with to get rid of leftovers. You know, do you have a house full of, of goodies that are left because, and now you're in this tough spot because you have a New Year's resolution about losing weight, but you have a whole lot of Christmas goodies you got to eat, you know, like that, that tough situation. Or maybe, maybe you're left with just bags of wrapping paper that now need to be recycled or whatever. And, and you know, there's, there's all these things that are left. For me, sometimes at the end of the holidays, I'm left with a little bit of, a little bit of disappointment. Partly because sometimes throughout December, I'm so busy and going so fast that I don't really soak in the season. And then once it comes and then it goes, and then what's left is like, well, wait a minute, the Christmas music's off now. Now I'm finally taking time to breathe and it's over. You know, it's like, it's kind of like I missed it. Which is why I've been making, I'm trying to make a point this season to slow down at different times, listen to the music, look at the lights, and just, just soak it up. Because, you know, I don't want to have that what's left kind of bummer feeling. Now, if you can have kind of a down feeling after a great series of events like Christmas and then New Year's, you can imagine the kind of down feeling Jesus' disciples had after in very up and down series of events with Jesus being betrayed, Jesus dying, Jesus rising again, which is awesome, but then Jesus visibly ascending into heaven. And it's, you can see that there would be a, in that situation, well, what's left, you can have a very mix of emotions and maybe some real challenges. And we're talking about this today, not just because we want to look back and go, oh yeah, that would have been tough for them, but we're still living in this time period of now between when Jesus has visibly ascended into heaven and when he will return. So when you think about that what's left time, that, that post big event time, we're still living it as Jesus' disciples today. And you could say with us being, you know, a couple millennia removed from when Jesus' ministry took place, and as people who are living in the reality that as we've been talking about the last few weeks in this series, in this The End is Near series, we've been, talk, we've been living in the reality that, that we're in a time where love is growing cold, where faith is, is less in many ways, where it's difficult to judge what's going on in our hearts and in the hearts of people around us. As people living in this time, it can feel like, what are we left with? It can kind of feel like disappointment. We can kind of feel like we are frustrated or discouraged. Which is why to wrap up this lesson today, or this, this series, today we're going to go to a lesson that encourages us to be honest about the fact that sometimes we're left with discouragement or being down, but ultimately there's something that Jesus leaves with us, which is the core thing that we need each and every day. It's what not only gets us through, but can help us to have lives of joy and hope, lives that are defined by peace. The lesson we have today, it, it helps us to see what's left. Our lesson, it comes from John chapter 14, it's verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, 
and do not be afraid. Now, Jesus speaks these words that night he's betrayed. They're in that upper room. So Jesus has, has had all these, these beautiful things take place where he has washed his disciples' feet and has commanded and said, as I love you, now you are to love each other. He is there this night. He's instituting the Lord's Supper that night. And he's also really preparing his disciples. And the Gospel of John records this uh, very thoroughly for us. He's preparing his disciples that night for what is about to take place. He's preparing them for the fact that in just a bit, they're going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's going to be arrested. He's going to go and he's going to stand before the religious authorities, he's going to stand before the Roman authorities, and he is going to be wrongfully uh, found guilty, even though he didn't do anything wrong. He's going to be in this terrible state where he is sent as an innocent man, not just to prison, but ultimately to die on the cross. The next day, Jesus' dead body would be laid in a tomb, and he's preparing his disciples for this, for what's coming up. He's also preparing them, though, for the fact that he is going to rise again, that on Easter Sunday he's going to stand up, he's going to stand before them alive and well. Jesus' new and improved body, Jesus' resurrected body 2.0, and he's also preparing them for the fact then in a little over a month, he's also going to visibly ascend into heaven. And, I, and I've said this a few times now, visibly ascend. Because keep in mind, Scripture says, Jesus has promised, I will be with you always. Jesus is still with us, but in a different way. He's, he's not in that visible way, that earthly ministry sort of way. And our lesson today is really Jesus especially preparing them for that transition. Because when you get into a lesson that says, peace, I leave with you, the word leave, it means to leave away or to let go of something. So there's a certain aspect of letting go that Jesus is doing with his disciples at this point. He has been teaching them for three years. He's been there with them visibly there, and you can see him. He could, they could talk with him and interact with him. But there's coming a point now where he's leaving them in a way, where he's going to be arrested and they're not coming with him where he is going to die and be laid in a tomb, and obviously they're not with him there. But then also he's going to leave in a way to ascend to the Father's right hand. Again, Jesus is still with us, but it's, it's, it's different than it was. Jesus is preparing his disciples to be left in a way. And when he says that I will leave you, what he says is peace, I will leave you. What's left? I'm leaving you with peace. I'm going to leave it here in your hands, just like, think about if you're going to watch a football game later today, what, Packers-Ravens, right? Watch that, and, and Aaron Rodgers is going to hand out the ball. A.J. Dillon is a beast lately, by the way, loving this guy. And when he gives the ball to him, it doesn't work if the quarterback tries to hang on to it, right? you got to actually, that's when fumbles happen, is when they both try to grab the ball. He's got to let go of it into his hands. This, this is the idea, Jesus, when he says, peace, I leave with you. I'm going to let it go in your hands. But then he also follows it up and says that, that I'm going to give it to you. And the word give here, it's the idea of giving a gift. Jesus is going to leave something with his disciples, leave something in their hands, in our hands. And as he does so, he is really giving us a gift. And the gift he's given us is peace. What is peace in scripture? What does peace mean? What is it all about? If you were at our Thanksgiving Eve service down in Fort Atkinson at our Fort Atkinson campus, we watched a video on it, or if you watched it online, so some of this might be fresh, but it's still good for us to review. 
what does God's word mean when it talks about peace? The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So peace is so much more, so much more than just, okay, there's, no, there's not conflict, we're not fighting. It's this restoration, where you are reunited. If it's a relationship that's been broken, there's restoration and relationship. You have a renewed partnership. 
And at this point now, you're not missing anything. You have everything is, is, is united. It's complete. It's good. And Jesus is our peace because, well, we had broken that relationship with our Father. We had turned away from God. We failed to be what we were meant to be. But Jesus is everything we were meant to be. Lived the perfect life we were meant to live. Laid it down and died. And then rose again to give us his perfect life. So now that relationship with God could be restored. Not just where there's not conflict, but we have renewed partnership and relationship with God. And if we have renewed partnership and relationship with God, then we have everything we need. We have shalom, a state of goodness, a wellness. We have peace. What is left for us? What did Jesus leave his disciples? What did he hand off into our hands? What did he give as a gift to us? He's given us peace. He's given us renewed relationship. He's given us everything. And if that concept weren't enough, there's something else that Jesus says here. It's a a short word, but it's really powerful when you think about it. Jesus says, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. What does that mean? I mean, it's the peace that belongs to Jesus. Does it mean that, 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 we're, that we have a right relationship with him and then have everything we need from him? Yes. But also, in this section of John, Jesus has been really hammering home that he and the Father are united. That he is united with the Father. And you think about Jesus in his ministry, how he had this unique relationship of peace with his Father. And Jesus now says in this section that you now, we all now, are invited into this relationship. He says that the Father is in me, and I am in you. And so you think about the peace that Jesus has with God the Father. That's his peace. And now he gives this peace to you. He offers the same peace that he has with God the Father to you. And he offers it to you by by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that teaches you that you will realize, makes us realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He gives you this Spirit. And by giving you the Spirit, he has given you something that sometimes we can... Overlook just how powerful the Spirit and just what a beautiful gift the Spirit really is. This last week in our small group Bible study discussions, I was really reminded of just how incredible it is that we have the Spirit. Because this last week in our our small group Bible study, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. That's our theme for this year. But we were talking about how Jesus, throughout his ministry, the way he interacted with his Father was through the Spirit. See, Jesus, he's fully God, but in his earthly ministry, I mean, Jesus is also fully human. And throughout his earthly ministry, he's in what we call a state of humiliation. Not that he, like, was embarrassed to be human, but it's a state of being humble. Meaning he didn't make use of his powers as God. So how did he do miracles? How did he drive out demons? Like Matthew 12, 28 says this. It says, by the Spirit of God. And in Acts, when it talks about how Jesus was anointed and how Jesus had power... He was anointed with what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit. Jesus did what he did through the Spirit. The Spirit 
was like this conduit in a way between him and the Father, which is weird for us to think about because Jesus is also God, but according to the fact that he's also fully human, he needed to interact with the Father by the Spirit. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing is the same Spirit that Jesus interacted with the Father through is the Spirit that Jesus now gives to you. The very same Spirit. It's not a different one. It's not a less of one. The same Spirit that Jesus conducted his ministry through by the power of that spirit, that same spirit is given to you. That same spirit now is working in you. The very peace that Jesus throughout his ministry and continues to have had with the Father is the same peace that the spirit gives to you. Now, Jesus also says, I do not give to you as the world gives, probably partly because the world doesn't give to you through the Holy Spirit, but also because peace, the way God gives it, is different looking than what we typically think of. We typically think of the absence of war, the absence of trouble when you think of peace. But when you think about Jesus' life and the peace that he had, his life was not without trouble. It kind of was full of it, right? A lot of stuff going on. I mean, you might look at the, the in, in Jesus being born, and we think of it like in the manger, and it can be this really kind of cute, peaceful scene and everything. But for Jesus' family, this was anything but a relaxing, you know, this was not a really expensive birth suite with, you know, your high-quality doula, and you have, you know, and you got like the massage. This, this, is not, this is not what this is, right? This is a very, very stressful situation. And not only is it stressful, but very soon after Jesus was born, they're actually on the run because someone is trying to kill him. And then you think about his adult life. I mean, Jesus was in the middle of storms, right, where people around him were terrified that they were going to die. And you think about the fact that ultimately his life went to a cross where he's, he's killed unjustly. It doesn't look like an overly peaceful life. But remember what biblical peace is. It's about being restored in relationship to someone. And throughout all of this, in Jesus' life and his ministry, he had this relationship with his father. And in the midst of the trouble, his father was with him. The spirit was with him. The father was with him when he was born in that barn taking care of him. The father was with them by the fact that he sent that angel to speak to Joseph saying, hey, go down to Egypt. Someone's after Jesus. He didn't remove the fact that somebody was after Jesus, but he protected Jesus in the face of the threat. He didn't keep Jesus from storms, but in the middle of the storms, he gave Jesus the power to calm the storm. And yes, his plan was that Jesus would go to a cross but the plan was never that Jesus would ultimately, that his story would end on the cross. He was forsaken to pay for our sins. But when Jesus says it's finished, he also then goes on to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he rose again on the third day. And ultimately all of that led to him conquering everything that is broken about this world and our lives. Jesus is now ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Not that he's sitting at some sort of special spot in heaven, but that he has this position of power and authority, and he is ruling all things. 
the peace of Jesus doesn't look like the absence of trouble, but the presence of his Father and of partnership with God, carrying out God's plan and purpose to bring hope and healing. This is what the peace of, of God looks like, the peace of Jesus looks like. So then, let's ask ourselves, for us then, what's left? If peace is what's left, what is left for us? It's not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of there ever being a threat or of there ever being a storm and not even the absence of death or anything like that. But peace is the presence of God, of partnership with our Father, where we know that he is with us and no matter what life throws at us, he is everything we need. And no matter what storm we walk through, he has a plan and a purpose, and we are partnering with him as a part of how he is carrying it out, where he is working all things for good, where he has promised that someday Jesus will return and he will set all things right. The peace of God is the presence of God and a partnership with God as he is carrying out his plan for our good and his glory. This is what's left to us. And if this is what's left to us, then we can, can do what Jesus says. We don't have to have our hearts be troubled. Biblically, when you think about your heart, your, your heart is, is where you desire things. It's, it's, what you, it's where you want things. It's where you feel things. And then, therefore, also, that's where you make your choices and your decisions in life. You don't have to be stressed out with what you're going to do next. You don't have to be freaked out with what life has ahead of you. Your desires don't have to. Yeah, you get to know that what you need most will always be provided. You get to know no matter what comes ahead, whether you make the perfect choice or the worst choice, the presence of God, God will be with you. And you can know no matter what comes at you, God is always for you and will carry out his plan and his purpose as you partner with him. You don't have to have your hearts be troubled. And the word troubled, it's really it's the idea of stirring up water. You don't have to have a heart that is always anxious or stressed. You can have a heart that is calm. Because you're at peace with God. You don't have to be troubled. And he also says, don't be afraid. The word afraid here, it's not just the feeling of fear. It's the idea actually of drawing back out of fear. So it's like you see something scary and you run the other way. He says, you don't have to run the other way. You don't have to run from stepping forward in faith. You don't have to run from the plan of God. You don't have to run from whatever is in front of you. You can step forward boldly. I gotta tell you, I, I, I realize that there are various ways in my life where I do let my heart get troubled, where I get worried about what's ahead, anxious about the choices I'm gonna make, and sometimes I do run back in fear. Maybe not literally, although there's, um, there have been times that I've run from things in fear, um, but uh, especially when I was a kid and I thought E.T. lived in my basement, I would run from f in fear. Um, yeah, I was totally freaked out then. But anyway, but there are ways where I don't step forward boldly in, in believing what God has promised. You know, where I, where I don't step forward and really trust. You know, any time that we don't trust that what God says about this thing is, like when we don't follow God's law, what we're doing is we're actually shrinking back in fear that maybe God isn't good or he's holding out on us or maybe he can't actually take care of us. You know, when, when, we, when we 
allow ourselves to get filled with anxiety about what's, what's ahead and, and, and we worry about the future, what we're doing is actually shrinking back in fear that maybe God's not going to provide in the future. You know, whenever we overthink things and try to do it all ourselves, what we're doing is we're actually shrinking back in fear that maybe God's not going to take care of it and we have to take care of it. You know, there's so many ways that we actually, anytime that we don't step forward in faith and allow ourselves to experience God's peace, we're actually running away in fear. And I've done that, and I know you have done it too, because really, sin, the real problem of sin, the core of sin, really is fear that God is not for us and that he's not going to take care of us. I say that because if you look back to the garden and the way the serpent tempted Eve, he said, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent got them to doubt if God was really for them and if he was really good and really going to take care of them. This, this is at the core of every, every sin. Can I really trust what God says in his word? And that he's good. And that he's not holding out on me. You know, there's this interesting thing that, that I realized this week with sin and how it works. And really our relationship with God and how it works. Is I think I, I often thought that the issue in the relationship with God and, 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 and me and God and us was that God looked at us and said, you're so sinful, I can't be near you. But what I've come to realize is that the issue actually goes the other direction. Not that God doesn't have a problem with sin. Oh my goodness, he certainly does. That's why Jesus had to die for it. But if you look at the story of scripture, God is constantly calling out to people, repent, come back to me. He sent Jesus so we could be with him. The issue so often to us experiencing peace in our lives is not that God is like, stay away, you're a problem. The issue is actually that we keep doubting. God's invitation to come to him. We keep pulling back in fear instead of trusting in faith. The issue is not that God is like, stay away. The issue is that, that we are hesitant to come. Hesitant to trust. Because of the doubt that the devil puts in our minds. And, and what that then results in, too, is if you go in verse 8 of Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They ran from God. Who initiated the separation in our relationship with God? It actually wasn't God. The ones to separate, God came looking for them. The ones who ran were Adam and Eve. And it's what we do too. We run in fear, we run in shame, we run in whatever. Which is why we need again and again to remember and to go back to this gospel message. The fact that Jesus left his disciples in a way because he left them to go to the cross and die because he left them to be laid down in a tomb because he left them to ascend in heaven we can know that our God never leaves us by allowing himself to be killed on the cross he paid for our sins by dying, by rising again by ascending into heaven so he could now send the spirit to work in us, we can know that what he leaves us with is his peace. To know that he is ruling all things. To know that that relationship that he has with the Father, that that, that relationship of partnership with his Father is ours. 
That if Jesus removed everything we've ever done wrong, and if Jesus rose again to give us new life, if Jesus is ruling all things now too, this very partnership that he had with the Father through faith in him, we have too. And so we don't have to live afraid. We don't have to pull back. Yeah, we're living in a world where love is often turning cold. We live in a world where there is a lack of faith. We live in a world where it's hard to deal with all the challenges and questions and things. It's hard to figure this all out. But in the midst of this world, we have the peace of God. We have the presence of our Father. We have the promise that he is carrying it all out to his plan. And we know that he is working it all for our good and his glory. And if we can know that, then this refrain that was there in our psalm that we read, this refrain that's throughout Scripture, it will start to make sense to us why this is such a repeated refrain. Because not only is this the refrain of Scripture, but it's the refrain of our lives. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? As we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare for Jesus to return, as we prepare for all, everything in between, you have the presence of God. And you have the promise of God. And you know he is carrying out the plan of God. That you have the hope of paradise with Jesus and you know that he will return to set all things right. Peace. That's what's left.